It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, Tate, to Gotta Watch the Back on the Cleveland.com podcast network. It's been so long. I've set up the joke too long. I was like, how could I say the thing wrong? Because I think that's what people would want to hear is Doug say the name of the show wrong for the first time in three months. We are back. My hiatus from the Orange and Brown Talk podcast is over. It was a suspension that we don't need to talk about. But no, I always miss people. I hadn't been on the Browns podcast for so long. I did get a couple that were like, are you fired? Are you suspended? (laughs) And I know all the people asking those questions are like, I'm asking it because I think it's possible. And it's like, no, we're just all busy. But now we're back to got to watch the tape. We will be back every Thursday during this Brown season. Doug LaMarie, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We hope you listened last year and we hope you're excited to have this show back. And we hope that some of you are new and hearing this for the first time. And if so, welcome aboard. What we do is break down the Browns in a different way with film, with numbers. We break up the show. Usually Scott gets a half an hour. Ellis gets a half an hour. They really, really dig in. And I just sit back and listen. And that's what we're going to do for this Browns Chiefs matchup on Sunday. We are going to start off with the Browns defense versus the KC offense with Scott Patsko. And then in the second half, we will flip it and Ellis will start talking about the Browns offense versus the Kansas City defense. But Scott, well, people want to hear your voices too. Now, actually, I just want to keep talking because you guys have been on all the pods. This people is are me. sick of us. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't said that. I've been doing all the Ohio State pods. I started a new national college football podcast. I haven't said the name Baker Mayfield or Miles Garrett for months. So I'm just going to let me just to indulge myself. Very quickly, I'm just going to run through the Browns' 53-man roster, and then we'll start. (laughs) Greg Newsom. Kareem Hunt. All right, that's enough. Scott. Five-hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you what. Ratings. People always said, like, if you just, back in newspaper days, just publish a different page of the phone book every day, and everybody will buy the paper and be like, is my name in the paper today? That's what I'll just do. (laughs) Send in. Tweet your name to Scott or Ellis, and then I'll just read your name on a future podcast, and maybe that'll get people to listen. All right, let's actually do football. Scott, we have this very handy-dandy reference point where the last time the Browns were on a football field, they were in Kansas City against the Chiefs, and now they're going to be in Kansas City against the Chiefs. But things have changed. How have things changed, especially sort of like from the Kansas City Offensive personnel. We know a lot of Brown's defensive personnel has changed. So this matchup on this side is different, but especially the KC offensive line. Cause part of what happened last year was like that 
offensive line. Didn't they have like a guy or two injured or whatever? And it was kind of like, oh, what's going on? It's revamped. How different is it? Yeah, Ellis gets to talk about a lot of the things that everybody knows are the same. I'm going to be talking about some changes here. And I want to start with three names right off the top here. Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Ronnie Harrison. All three of those guys started against the Chiefs in January. And all three should start on Sunday. And we've talked, as Doug mentioned, a lot over the offseason about all the new starters the Browns could have and will have on the defense. So it's not surprising that those are really the only three guys that you're probably going to see again. But looking at the lineup, the Browns started in that playoff game, really drives home the amount of change that defense went through because Sione Takitaki, who also started that game, is the only other starter from January who's even on the team anymore. So four starters, that's it. 12 players played at least 50% of the snaps against the Chiefs. Eight of them are gone. Anyway, that's your daily reminder that the Browns remade their defense this offseason. But what about the Chiefs? Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are all back, and maybe that's all they really need to be successful. Throw around teams like Generational and Unicorn when you talk about those guys. But their offense did go through some change, particularly on the offensive line. It's basically entirely new. They acquired Orlando Brown, who people remember from the Ravens. He's moved over to left tackle for the Chiefs. They also signed left guard Joe Tooney. Uh, So veteran experience, it looks great on the left side of that line. The other side, the other three spots are all rookies. You have center Creed Humphrey. He was a second-round pick this year. Right guard Trey Smith, sixth-round pick. Browns know about those six-rounders. I'm not sure if the Chiefs are as good at finding them, but the Browns have had a lot of luck. Maybe the the Chiefs will have luck with Trey Smith. And then right tackle uh, Louis Niang, who was a 2023rd-round pick. He opted out last year to COVID, so – This is basically his rookie season. So those are three guys uh, at the center and on the right side of the offensive line. And there's been a lot of talk about what to expect from that group, because obviously you have this great experience on one side, you got the rookies on the other, and it's not like the chiefs are going to put Patrick Mahomes behind an offensive line that can't play. The chiefs made those changes because that's what they did in the Super Bowl. Basically, everybody remembers Patrick Mahomes running for his life. He was under pressure uh, over half the time he dropped back in that game. So the Chiefs had Mahomes and the number one offense start each of their preseason games. So we kind of got a look at how this is all going to work. So we have some information on just how good those rookies might be. Humphrey, the center, earned a PFF blocking grade this preseason of 83.7. Uh, in the run game, 75.6 in pass protection. That's really good. He had no pressures, 45 pass blocking steps, zero pressures. Smith, the right guard, 73.7 in the run game, 65.8 in pass pro. That's still respectable. And most importantly, just one pressure, which was a hurry, 45 pass blocking snaps. Again, that's pretty good. And then finally, Niang, the right tackle, 73.9 in pass blocker, 66.9 in the run game. Again, pretty good. Also 45 pass blocking steps, zero pressures. So between the three of those guys, one pressure, and it was a hurry. For the record, Orlando Brown led the starting offensive line in pressures allowed in the preseason. He had three. Joe Tooney, though, was, was pretty good. Uh, he had zero. Uh, Brown graded below 60 as a run blocker and a pass blocker in the preseason. So he was in that replacement level as far as grading goes. Tooney, same story in the run game. Replacement level. So good luck making predictions about the Chiefs offensive line based huh. on all that. I doubt it's going to hold 
uh, for the season. I would expect Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney to, to play well. Um, they've certainly have the track record. Um, but the rookies, uh, they come out of the preseason. Uh, the Chiefs have to feel good about where they are because they did perform well. Um, they were not facing Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett. But still, it was a positive uh, positive preseason. Bottom line here is that the Chiefs might be starting three lookies on, on the offensive line, but the Browns are going to test them. Just, uh, so do, do we think, Scott, in general, do you think then – so the Chiefs' offensive line is better than a year ago? Is that what we would say or, or the not end sure? of the year, well, we don't know about the whole year, but at the end of the year, it was kind of a mess because you had multiple guys who were hurt, and then you had – they were shuffling guys and moving them into different spots that maybe weren't their best spot. And you were kind of dipping into the depth there. So starting off healthy right away. Yeah. They're probably better from that aspect. And obviously uh, the right or the, the uh, left side of the line looks great, but the Browns are going to be the first test. You know, everybody talks about the chiefs being a benchmark for the Browns. I think the Browns defense, especially the pass rush, and the defensive line are going to be a benchmark for this for this offensive line. That's a that's a very good point. Isn't that interesting to think about the Browns as a benchmark for people? Ellis, I feel like if this was a different team that wasn't the Chiefs and wasn't a well-run team, right? I think people think Andy Reid and those guys know what they're doing. People might be freaking out. I mean, for instance, if even though the Browns are really good and should be established, I think if the Browns were trying to start three rookies on the offensive line, Colin Cowherd would be losing his stuff, right? Should we give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt, or is this like a huge risk to put the best quarterback in football, no matter how mobile he is, behind three dudes who have never done it before? Doug, that's exactly it. If this wasn't the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Reid, there would be much more cause for concern. There's two things that, quite frankly, make me not worry about the Chiefs' offensive line situation. I'll say three. First, what Scott said, they're just better. This is this is a more talented unit than what we saw in the Super Bowl. First with acquiring Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney and then investing the draft capital. I'm pretty sure Humphrey's a first round pick. Uh the right tackle's probably the third rounder. And then you said the guy's a sixth rounder, the, the guard. Um so they've invested the capital in that spot, much like the Browns did, and we saw how quickly that turned around. On top of that, though, we're looking at, let's start with Andy Reid, a, a guy who is going to learn from his mistakes, who has proven to do so, whose uh, offensive philosophies have, have ranged uh, all the way from a West Coast now to a more spread style. And I'm sure they put that Super Bowl tape on it and know that they need to run the ball more, that they need to throw more quick game, things to just not put pressure on the offensive line. And then, like most conversations around the Chiefs, this all comes down to Patrick Mahomes. You know, Patrick's already talked about to the media that he's learned from that Super Bowl, that he was bailing out of pockets that were were actually okay, but he just was in such a Superman mode or in a lack of trust in his line, much that we've seen Baker Mayfield do. But of course, there's different athletes where Patrick can lean on more of a backyard football approach, and that got them in trouble in the Super Bowl. So you trust the self-scouting of a team like the Chiefs to, regardless of who they're going to put up front there, they were not going to play to the detriment of their O-line, but then they added the talent where the Browns are still going to test them man for man, mano a mano, skill for skill. But this is just simply a better unit, plus the self-scouting that the Chiefs have gone through this offseason makes you just not too worried about the unit up front. I'm leaving the door open for a post-game question Sunday for Andy Reid that goes something like, Andy, the nine sacks you guys allowed today, what do you think went wrong? And Andy Reid saying something like, 
you know, probably shouldn't have started three rookies. That's on me. Probably shouldn't have started three rookies. That's my, that's on me. So, you know, three rookies, man. I don't know. And Scott here, like I was going to ask Scott, like, Hey, you got Orlando Brown on one side who was the right tackle in Baltimore and was dying to be a left tackle, which is why he forced his way out of there and now got what he wanted in Kansas city. And they have this other guy who opted out last year. Who's a rookie on the right side. I was going to say, Oh, do you think, Miles Garrett will be over the rookie right tackle a lot, but the whole point is that's why they have Jadavion Clowney. It's going to be either Clowney or Garrett over a rookie all day, which is a matchup regardless that the Browns should feel pretty good about no matter who's there. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about that too, but I, there were multiple times last year. And I think the year before I cannot, I think it was the Lions, but they haven't played the Lions recently where he's faced rookies. Like there's been guys who you're like, Miles Garrett's going to line up against this guy. And it just hasn't materialized into the, you know, the flogging that we thought it was going to be. Um, teams, teams can protect those situations. Maybe they have someone else helping and stuff like that. Maybe they have a, a, a tight end kind of stick around and, and help, but that just never seems to really become an issue for teams. Now, Miles Garrett has never really had a great game against the Ravens and he's gone against Orlando Brown in, in a lot of those games. Um, I'm sure they will like to still want to see how he looks against that, against that rookie on the other side. Um, but yeah, I think it is a better situation because you don't maybe have the drop off that you had between Clowney and Garrett that you had between Garrett and Vernon uh, from each side, you know, in the past couple of years. I do think sometimes when you know you have a tackle that is going to be tested, you put that in the game plan. You plan, we're going to help him with tight ends. We're going to help him with running backs. We're going to help him with play calling that doesn't leave him on an island. I think sometimes the way a great rush end has a great day is when a team has a tackle that they think can handle him kind of, and then that tackle who's supposed to be kind of good just has an awful day. Like for whatever, it's an awful matchup. The guy just doesn't have it that day. And there wasn't a plan to help him. They're going to help the rookie. They're going to help the rookie. But that would mean if they're just like, oh, well, we think Orlando Brown's going to handle it. And then maybe what we saw a little bit in the preseason, Scott, carries over. And it's like, oh, Orlando Brown, he's not used to playing on the left side. He had a rough day or whatever. And that's where Miles Garrett gets three sacks. Okay. One of the things I felt like, and again, I have a terrible memory. It's one of my many faults. I have a terrible memory, but I feel like one of the things we came away, there's a lot of speed talk right after the Browns chiefs game of the Browns got to get faster. And I think Scott linebacker, right. Is one of those areas where that showed up is JOK a problem solver here, or, or is it deeper than that? What do you think about the linebacker matchup for the Browns here? Yeah. Linebackers and speed. It's the got to watch the tape topic that keeps on giving. Yes. I think we talked about this a lot last season. So um, I'll get to JLK first. So let's, let's start with good news. Mac Wilson, who could be your starting uh, weak side linebacker on Sunday, by the way, had his best game of the season against the chiefs. In fact, if you go by PFF grade, Mac Wilson had the best game of his career against the chiefs. He earned a PFF defensive grade of 91.8. That's not starter level or pro bowl level. That's elite level. That's pretty much, that's as high as you can go. But here's the asterisk. Asterisk. He played 11 snaps. Uh, so why you got to do that? Why you got to do that to Mac? <laughs> Can you just let the man have the grade and let us think he played 50 snaps? Yeah, and I was going to say, did he get a bonus 10 points for knocking Patrick Mahomes out of the game for the final 23 minutes? That might <laughs> yeah. be baked in there too. <laughs> it's 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 quality over quantity, I guess. Um, but linebacker coach Jason Tarver made a point of telling us 
that that was Mac Wilson's best game during training camp when we talked to him um, because he felt that Wilson was finally in the right head space. He'd gone through a lot last season. Um, and even though he's dealt with a shoulder injury in, in this camp, his legs are finally healthy, which wasn't the case last season. He kind of admitted that. That's important because if the Browns take it slow with JOK, it's Wilson who needs to provide that good coverage and speed that the Browns uh, really lacked the last time they played the Chiefs. Goodson and Taki Taki were your linebacking snap leaders in that game. They both started. The Chiefs had three receivers on the field 78% of the time, so the Browns pretty much went with two linebackers most of the game. And again, it was Goodson and Taki Taki, not the ideal duo you would want at linebacker against the Chiefs. So 78% of the time, there were three receivers on the field. That was 49 of the 63 offensive plays. And when the Chiefs saw Taki Taki out there, they had to love that because coverage hasn't been his strength. It's something he's still kind of figuring out. He was targeted or his area of the field was targeted eight times in that game, more than any other Browns defender. Gave up six, six catches, three for first downs. Kelsey caught three or four targets against him. Taki Taki's coverage grade was 28.1. B.J. Goodson, 43.9. Malcolm Smith, who was third in snaps among linebackers and who was on the field for that fateful Chad Henney run, uh, 50.8 in coverage. It's not all about the linebackers. The Browns definitely need to add more speed and versatility to that group. And JOK and a healthy Mac Wilson help there. Uh, think about some of the key plays from that playoff game. The Patrick McCombs touchdown run in the first quarter, the third and four conversion in the fourth quarter. It was a short throw to Daryl Williams, the big 13-yard run by Chad Henney, the fourth down throw to Tyreek Hill. Goodson was on the field for all those plays and was often the guy who was closest to make a play or the guy who basically had to make that play or no one else was. And he was just repeatedly too slow to do that. Now, granted, we're talking about the Chiefs here who have speed that teams can't match, but Speed and the ability on the outside to make plays is something the Browns really struggled with throughout the season. And it's what they really addressed uh, this offseason by switching out Goodson for Anthony Walker, who he's not, he's not a burner at linebacker. I, when, he, when they signed him, I went back and I started searching for like combine 40-yard times and pro day 40-yard times to try and compare these two guys. And what I found – what I found was kind of sketchy. <laughs> I'm not really sure how well it was that one of them didn't really go to the combine, uh, but it was basically around the same time. But Walker is like 12 pounds, 10, 12 pounds lighter. He looks leaner. He looks quicker. So there's that. And then, of course, you draft JOK, who is supposed to be a problem solver there. He's supposed to be that guy who gets, uh, who not just helps in coverage, but, you know, chases down people on the flank and, and just kind of takes some of those plays away from other teams that, they really seem to target against the Browns. So more than JOK or Mac Wilson covering guys like Kelsey or one of the wide receivers in the slot, the game I think could be how the Browns defend the flanks against the chiefs and how quickly they close if, and when Mahomes takes off and linebacker speed is, is where they can make up some of that. So let's play a little game. Let's play a little game here. Let's let our listeners play along at home as well. And we're going to play who does BJ Goodson play for? And we'll let everybody come up with their answer. Who does BJ Goodson play for? And then we'll have Scott and Ellis answer. Ellis, who does BJ Goodson play for? 
BJ Goodson is currently a free agent in the NFL. That is my guess. Scott? Yeah, my answer was going to be nobody. He plays, I'm, I'm trying to look this up, I'm, I'm guessing. He plays for the Finland Astronauts, I'm assuming what that stands for, because it, yeah. his team says F.A. Yeah. I don't know who that is. The Finland Astronauts. I would buy their jersey. Yes. So whatever their 40 times were, Anthony Walker is better because B.J. Goodson is unemployed. So maybe, I don't know, he got an offer and he didn't like the money and he's waiting for a better offer or whatever. We certainly, I felt like by the end of the year, we were like, well, he's a, he's a, not the biggest problem. He's okay, right? He got I better think, in coverage. He got, he it got better. Like, I thought like, yeah, it's, he got bail. And we thought it wasn't impossible that he would be back, right? Would that be fair to say that we thought it was, well, you know, they're going to upgrade a lot of places. We could maybe see him back or maybe he's back and he and Jacob Phillips share whatever. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a job. There's no job for him. No job. So I'm going to assume that's an upgrade for the Browns there. So you can just see it. And Scott, like maybe JOK is not a problem solver right off the bat, but if the Chiefs really start doing some stuff to them, it's like, oh, we didn't see what that like then. Oh, JOK, go solve this problem. Right, that I think he can be a handyman. Does he have a nickname yet? Can we call him the handyman? He just fixes every problem defense has. That I'll might catch you, on. I think we've had Dennis Mandeloff used to be the guy that would give everybody nicknames. So if I can be like D Man, I was going to do my D Man impersonation, but I, it's, it's a little rusty. <laughs> the I just had. Uh, we needed a new toilet in my house. And I've definitely had oh, a that was, that was a left turn segue, but go ahead. <laughs> I've definitely had a replacing a toilet discussion, but I think it was on Buckeye Talk, not on this oh, show. Yeah. I did not put in my toilet. I Smart. paid a person to come put yes. in my toilet. But I feel like if JOK lived in my house, he could probably put the toilet in because he's the handyman. He's a problem solver. And so, Scott, I think it gives them some options, right? That like the kind of that 12th man of the defense, whether he, I don't know, he's going to start or not or whatever, but you can see, you can just see how some of the issues they had last year with this stuff, Ellis, right? Like, can you, it just feels like maybe we don't know exactly how they'll solve it, but they just have some options, whether it's Mac Wilson, whether it's JOK, whether it's Anthony Walker, whatever, to figure out some of this chief stuff in the linebacker core. Yeah. I think options is a perfect way to look at it. And I also think they're just going to learn from asking lesser coverage linebackers to do those things a year ago. They're going to learn to just not do that. This is going to come down to Anthony Walker, I think, and, and the way he's able to just uh, deploy through the middle and react to things as he sees them, which I think is where he'll separate from BJ Goodson. When, when you see guys with similar speed and yet they look faster on tape, that, that tells me film recognition. Like Anthony's just going to get to places quick, more quickly. I think this is a Mac Wilson game, a, a chance for him really to solidify himself as the weak side backer. Uh, I understand all the hope being put into JOK, but that seems like a tough ask having him go out there and just be like, Hey, let's, you know, just she's are doing crazy stuff. Here's a deep, some deep crosses and play action. And, Oh, you got to read the RPO game. That sounds like a lot to ask. Mac Wilson has proven that he's a better in coverage largely due to his athleticism than he is as a, a run stopper. And, and this seems like a chance for him to get a real stranglehold on the weak side spot uh, behind Anthony Walker's leadership in a, in a remade room. And then we'll, as Scott has said, we'll see JOK be baked in and sprinkled in here and there. So just real quick here, Ellis, it sounds like you're saying that a very good football team 
playing a very good football team might be crazy to rely on a rookie in game one. Is, is that what you're saying? That that would be kind of maybe like a crazy thing to do. Why would you do that? Yeah, you see how yeah. things are. Mm. Yeah, it sounds, you know, experience matters uh. in football. It's, it's wild how that works. I wonder if that was, would apply to something we talked about earlier or not. I can't put my finger on it. Scott, we'll finish <laughs> up with the great. This is this is when Scott is 120 years old and in the, the old people's home and talking to himself. And they're going to say, what's that guy saying to himself over and over? And he's just going to be saying, Pressure versus coverage, pressure versus coverage, pressure versus coverage. Yep. Did the Browns need to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes or do they need to cover against Patrick Mahomes? What matters more? Edge rusher or defensive back? Edge rusher or <laughs> defensive back? I'm just going to be muttering to myself. Uh, so that's the dilemma, right? Pressure Mahomes versus uh, getting good coverage. And we talked about this before the, before the playoff game. You know, you want to pressure Mahomes like any quarterback, his completion percentage drops when he's under pressure, but you don't want to create the scramble drill because the Chiefs, that's like their best play. Yeah. <laughs> um, the goal is to make Mahomes hold the ball longer than he wants to as the walls close in and there's nowhere to run. Like that's the optimal thing that happens here. That's easier said than done, of course. Um, but making Mahomes hold the ball can be effective. If you have a really good memory, you might remember us talking about this in January before the playoff game. Mahomes' average time to throw last season was 2.9 seconds, which ranked one spot below Baker. He was at 2.98 seconds. But the quicker the, the, the quicker that Mahomes got the ball out, the better he was. When he threw in less than 2.5 seconds, he completed 78.5% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, one pick. That completion percentage was third best in the league. But when he held the ball for 2.5 seconds or longer – his completion percentage dropped to 55.1, which ranked 29th. He still had 20 touchdowns and just five interceptions when that happened, uh, which just shows you how crazy his ability to improvise is um, and how hard it is to actually bring him down. Uh, but, and, well, the majority of his passes were that way. They were longer than 2.5 seconds. So while that isn't you know the magic number, it's not like, all right, if we can just get him to hold up 2.5 seconds, we're good. We can defeat him. Yeah. You're yeah. still, it's still a better situation because you're more likely to get a positive defensive play out of that situation. Again, it's Mahomes. He was fifth in the league in the number of scrambles when he held the ball for over 2.5 seconds. He was fourth in the league on picking up first downs in those situations. He had the most big time throws when holding it longer than 2.5 seconds. And those are throws that have great location and timing. They're generally further downfield tighter window, which sounds a lot like the passes you see him throw to Tyreek Hill, you know, once a game after escaping the pocket. The good news for the Browns is that they've improved their coverage ability this season. And we all know that at least on paper, at least that's what we believe. And we've seen, we've seen signs of that in practices in the, the practices against the giants, you know, briefly when they were out there together against the Falcons, Greg Newsom, Troy Hill, John Johnson, you're bringing back Ronnie Harrison, Denzel Ward, that puts them in a much better situation against the Chiefs than they were in January when Terrence Mitchell was out there, when MJ Stewart, MJ Stewart was playing a lot of slot. Kevin Johnson kind of had a rough day. It's in some big moments in that game in the slot. Uh, if the Browns defensive line can get pressure and stay disciplined, which is something that uh, they had a little bit of trouble with against the Chiefs 
last time and they don't allow too many escape routes to Mahomes, the secondary will get a chance to show whether or not it can provide that coverage that we're all kind of expecting. So one thing I'm really curious about, I got really hepped up about the Browns improving at safety. Well, you know, after watching Joseph and Zendejo for 16 games, we all got hepped up about it. But after watching what Tyra Matthew did in that game and thinking like, man, the Browns could use like a dangerous, rangy, roving, attacking safety that makes a quarterback think about every throw. So I'm really curious to see how the Browns safeties can make Patrick Mahomes think and maybe jump a route here or maybe get in a passing lane and make him hesitate because he's not just attacking them. They at times are attacking him. I'm super excited to see the Brown safety in that situation, but Ellis, we have to talk about another rookie again. I was on something else again today where we're talking about Greg Newsom. And I was like, I think Greg Newsom might get toasted in this game. I don't know because you know, sports writers, a, a common trope and stuff is we talk to a player after the fact and say, Hey, Remember when you were young and you messed something up and now you've learned from it. Now let's look back. And everyone goes, yeah, I looked at the film. I can't believe all the mistakes I made. I know so much more now, but nobody wants to talk about in the moment when you might be headed to that thing where it's going to go badly and you're going to have to learn from it. So in the AFC championship game, I'm going to imagine that we're going to be talking to Greg Newsom and say, Greg, man, what a nice rookie year you had, but let's look back to that first chiefs game when you got burned nine times. Don't we think, Ellis, that might happen just for no other reason than he hasn't done this before? And the first time he has to do it is against Patrick Mahomes. And at least some of the time he's going to be matched up on Tyreek Hill. Yeah, Doug, I hear everything you're saying. I think the the reason I would lean towards Greg Newsom and probably coming out rather clean against the Chiefs is because of how deep the Browns are going to be in their, their secondary. Now, this is, of course, assuming Greedy Williams, ex- who is expected to play, Grant Delpit ex- expected to play. Of course, now having John Johnson, the Browns have a chance to, in a way, catch the Chiefs' offense by surprise by just throwing new and different athletes at them, right? And sure, Greg Newsom's a rookie, but he's also a phenomenal athlete. Four, I think it was four, three, eight, 40 speed. Um, you combine that with the likelihood of him, let's say he's on Tyreek Hill for a decent chunk of this game, you, you're going to have a safety behind him, all, always helping, always being there. And if that safety is John Johnson, then you're probably not too worried about a Newsom getting burned. Now, what does that mean for the other players on the field? What are you going to do with Travis Kelsey? Again, a lot of this comes down to the availability of a guy like Grant Delpit, because what I can promise you is we're not going to see Denzel Ward matched up with Travis Kelsey in the slot again, hmm. because now they have the safeties and the athletes and the body and really the size to match up, match up with Kelsey like that and allocate Ward's responsibilities and keep him on the outside there, perhaps in single coverage uh, against um, McCall Hardman or, or something like that because one thing with the Chiefs that we have to remember is they're simply put they're not deep this is a three-headed monster of Patrick Mahomes and then Tyreek Hill Travis Kelsey they did it to the Browns going you know each of them I think having six catches for over 100 yards and they and they did it in the Super Bowl as well that's their plan of attack and the Browns really are built to a lot like in a basketball game like how many defenders how many rangy long defenders can you throw at Kevin Durant or LeBron James in a seven game series the Browns have a chance to throw multiple athletes at Travis Kelsey while double teaming Tyreek Hill every play which is why I think this bodes well for the Browns again catching them with the element of surprise protecting their rookie and then finally just being able to match 
athlete with athlete and the Browns having more of those athletes on the back end than the Chiefs have. Maybe not the level of athlete, of course. We're talking freaks like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, but enough B plus A minus guys to throw at them, disrupt them, and, and hopefully cause some frustration. I'm sure that's Joe Wood's game plan. I think Greg Newsom is going to be a fan favorite in Cleveland. I think he's smart. I think he's handsome. Mm-hmm. I think he's charismatic. I think he's fun. I think he's talented. I think he's fast. I think he's rangy. I think he's got everything you want. And corners can be stars, man. Corners can be stars. And Denzel is like a really good dude. But Denzel's always always been kind of quiet or whatever. I just, Greg Newsom is, and it doesn't mean Denzel's not a great guy. Greg Newsom is just like, it feels like he's so likable and stuff. It's like people I think are going to fall in love with this guy. And I think he's going to play at a level that people are going to be wearing Greg Newsom jerseys. They are. I, I just think he might have a bad first game. It'll be like, uh, you know, like a nightmare. I don't know. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. And he'll be like, in his, he might be at his Hall of Fame speech saying, I remember my first game against Patrick Mahomes. I was ready to quit football. And then I had a 15-year <laughs> Hall of Fame career. It's just that we're at that first game right now. But you also make good points. It's not like they're going to say, Greg Newsom, here's Tyreek Hill one-on-one for 30 snaps. Good luck. So I get that. I get and, that. and largely because they don't have to, right? Like if this was a, a different team when De- like Denzel Ward came here at one point and was asked to be that number one guy, this is just a different team. You, you don't have to ask your young guy to, to take that load, even though he has the expectations as a first round pick to be able to do that eventually. And it's not like, Greg, welcome to Cleveland. Here's the safety who's going to be helping behind you a lot of the time. It's Anderson Dejo. W- right. Welcome. Be like, oh, great. <laughs> cool, guys. It, that's not what it is anymore. So. I'm not going to make fun of Anderson Dejo all year. Is he on a team? I had to look up BJ Goodson. Is he? Now we're going to play. Let's play. The new Browns defense are the old guys on a team. Because I think sometimes. And, you know, good- the fact the fact that we're playing this game. Yeah, I was thinking today, you know, we give Andrew Barry a lot of credit. But, man, looking at some of the people he had on that defense last year. I don't know, man. Like, yeah. do, do we yeah. knock him for that? I know it was year one and you can't redo everything, but. He was really taking a leap with quite a few people on that defense. I Somebody has to write something ripping Andrew Barry. It has been too easy so far. Line it up. Andrew Zendejo, this is going to be my thing from now on, also playing in Finland, playing for <laughs> the go. Finland astronauts, not on a team. I'd say that's less surprising. BJ Goodson's like 27 years old and clearly a fall guy for this defense, but uh, combine that with Zendejo and, and you're right. Two big misses. And isn't Carl Joseph on a practice squad? Is that right? Isn't he? Didn't he sign? Uh, with I know the, Ra- uh, the Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders. The Raiders cut him. I think. I think he signed with the Pittsburgh practice squad. That sounds like yeah. a perfect Scott Patsko post on Cleveland.com. How yeah, many yeah. players who started on the Browns defense in the playoffs are now unemployed? Scott Patsko investigates. Maybe we'll look for that this week. All right. Off to a flying start. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Browns offense. And I like how Scott was like, my part's going to be really interesting because all the guys are new. <laughs> Ellis's is going to be boring because it's all about Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield. But we'll do that next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Be a Browns insider if you're not. Come on. People think that Dan Lobby said they're going to the Super Bowl. Be a Browns insider. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Sign up. You get the texts, you get all the stories, access to all the stories. I would put our coverage team and the way that we do it. We have great people covering the Browns, led by one of the very best beat writers in the NFL. But it's also the way we go about it, led by our fearless leader, Dave Campbell, like how we attack this beat. 
I don't think there's a better operation than what we have with Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko doing this every day, year round. Then you're dropping one of the very best columnists in America, Terry Pluto, and all his knowledge right on top of that. We're doing podcasts. We do texts. We do videos. And we write stories. We cover it every possible way from every possible angle. And this is a team that deserves this kind of coverage. So like, if you care enough to listen to this, I'm telling you, you care enough to subscribe to be a Browns insider, at least during the season. You do. You honestly do. We all spend money in weird ways. I call it the cost of living. I lose money sometimes. One time I had a clip of money. It wasn't 20s or anything. It was like dollar bills. But I left it at a Fairfield Inn. And I was sick about it. I lost like $61. I wanted to puke. And then I was like, it's the cost of living. You make mistakes with money in life sometimes. You're like, I can't believe I spent money on that. That meal was not worth it. Man, I paid too much for a toilet. Maybe you paid too much for a toilet. This is not a mistake. This is worth it. If you love the Browns, and if you're hearing these words right now, you do. Because why would you be this far into this podcast if you don't love the Browns? You got you sat through a toilet story. Be a Browns insider. Try it. Just try it. Cleveland.com slash Browns. Sign up. Could not recommend it more. Could not recommend our Browns coverage team more. Ellis Williams. This offense is all the same. Should we just like run back and old got to watch the tape and be like everything that applied before also applies now. The, but the one thing, Ellis, one of the things that I think you're, is most fascinating that you were really good at digging on in, digging in on is we know the who, but the how. So we know the people on this offense. I might my, my quick count. 53-man, initial 53-man roster, 20 of the 25 offensive players are back. The defense, it was only nine of 25 who were back. So 20, I mean, we know the guys, but the how, the personnel groupings, Ellis, that we might see on Sunday, it's fascinating how they choose to deploy things. Will that be similar or different than a year ago? Yeah, context matters for the situation. And after rewatching the Browns-Chiefs game from a year ago, and really I'm coming at this, we're writing Browns-Chiefs stuff all week, right? So whether this is like a learning from the past segment, you know, mistakes the Browns offense must avoid or, or key points to victory, however you want to package this, it, it all is going to relate to how the Browns offense can be different and in opportune moments. I think the, like Scott just got into the defense is going to have the element of surprise and be in the chief's face all game from the jump. That's how you got to be. Your defenders are going to be out there. Your new toys are going to be out there. The Browns have a chance to look the same, but then pop in different ways. If Kevin Stefanski decides to deploy multiple personnel grouping. So what I noticed in that rewatch is that I don't think the game was actually all that close, especially early on prior to Patrick Mahomes exiting with a concussion and Mac Wilson earning his 10 bonus points from PFF uh, after that big hit. Uh, if, if you keep saying stuff like that, you're starting to sound like <laughs> Greg Williams. Be very careful. It's like, oh, PFF bonus points for knocking the quarterback out. Those are the just, it just all makes too much sense. I mean, 11 <laughs> plays, the, the one key play of the game, and you're sitting at a 91. But I will digress. We like PFF over there. The, 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 the bit is done. Um, <laughs> but never promise on this podcast that the bit is done, by the way. Right. Go ahead. The, the, the Browns just look like they were trying so much harder to manufacture offense. So in my rewatch, I, I was kind of trying to come up with ways of how they can make life easier for them come Sunday. The first key point is being multiple with their personnel groupings. A year ago, I thought the offense peaked in Pittsburgh during the AFC wildcard game. Screens and a quick passing game shredded Mike Tomlin Steelers defense. If we remember, Baker, I think, had the lowest time to throw in that game uh, of the quarterbacks. 
uh, playing in that wild card weekend, but then his quickest time of the season, I think it was like a 2.33 second uh, average throw time, just getting it off in lightning speed. Thus, Kansas City the next week emphasized eliminating short passes by playing physical press man coverage and expecting running back screens, and that's really what translated. The Browns often struggled generating big plays. Uh, a 27-yard screen to David Njoku on their second offensive play was the longest of the game. Kevin Stefanski could only deploy the talent available to, available to him, and that's why I started with this context is important. This was a team without Odo Beckham Jr., who he'd been gone for a while, of course. Uh, no Jojo Natson for for a long time. It, it, it almost is a, a, a testament to what Kevin and Alex Van Pelt were able to do in the gimmicky ways they were able to make this offense look explosive, despite it not having those explosive parts. Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins, and then rookie six-round pick Donovan Peoples-Jones played the majority of the snaps and the Chiefs feared none of them. The Browns deployed 11 personnel the most uh, of, I think, any game in, in the of the season against the Chiefs this in the playoff game. And I commend Kevin for doing that. That, that is a way of, of course, getting your most explosive offensive players on the field. But I just laid out who they had. They, you had to play the receivers you have, right? Carroll Hodge, I think, was still trying to get back into the rotation. He only played eight snaps or so. So this upcoming Sunday, the Browns have a chance – to remain in their same sort of look, the same sort of window dressing, that 11 personnel heavy dosage, but they can be multiple with their personnel groupings while simultaneously keeping Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnuolo guessing. I encourage the Browns to mix and match their groups of three receivers, trot out Odo Beckham Jr., Anthony Schwartz, and now a second year Donovan Peoples-Jones. Those are three playmakers Kansas City didn't have to prepare for last year. They don't know what Odo Beckham Jr. in a post-2020 bye week Browns offense looks like. They have no idea what kind of packages Anthony Schwartz could thrive in or the threat he possesses. And they dealt with a rookie, Donovan Peoples-Jones, a year ago, not this new version that we all expect to break out and eventually surplant either Odell or Jarvis, or perhaps both as a number one receiver on this team. Then a few snaps later, maybe you sprinkle in Demetric Felton and Jarvis Landry, both man the slot with an outside presence like Rashard Higgins out there. The point's simple. You drafted speed, so now use it and keep the Chiefs on their toes while doing so. The additions of Demetric Felton and Anthony Schwartz, though I don't expect either of them to play more than six or eight snaps, it's when they're in there that matters most. Felton in the red zone. Anthony Schwartz near th- on their side of the 30 running a deep vertical, pairing him with Odell Beckham Jr. This offense has a chance from to go from quite predictable and vanilla to versatile, explosive, and a chance to be the aggressor and keep a defense reeling, unlike it did a year ago, while still looking the same and staying true to its core offensive principles, but the parts are different. And, and that's the, the beauty of what's been constructed here. Now, we don't know how they'll deploy them, but that's when we're trying to problem-solve from a year ago, uh, that was the key. This offense was predictable, and now they have a chance to not be. All right, can we play another game? I, I'm here for him. Can we play a game that I'm going to call a lot, some, or a little? And I'm going to name all the skill players on the Browns offense, and you say how much they will play against the Chiefs. A lot, some, or a little. And I Let's don't do know, what, whatever a lot, some, or a little mean to you. We'll get your yep. answers on both. All right, Odell Beckham Jr., Ellis, a lot, some, or a little. Some. Scott? Some. Jarvis Landry, a lot, some, or a little. Scott? 
A lot. Ellis? A lot. A lot. DPJ, a lot, some or a little. Ellis? I think a lot. Scott? Yeah, definitely more than some. I, I lean towards a lot. So can I? Well, no, I won't. I won't. I won't. Two a lots for DPJ. I'm 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 not I'm gonna double back on the on the OBJ sum. Uh Rashard Higgins, a lot, some or a little. Ellis. A little. I think we see I think Higgins is a guy who comes on later uh, in the season like he has each year. Scott, you think he's gonna be cut before the game, is that correct? <laughs> Browns hate Rashard Higgins. Uh, no, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a little because yeah, I, I think that uh DPJ is is, has that role now. All right. Anthony Schwartz, a lot, some, or a little. Scott? A little. Ellis? I'm going to combine two here. The combination of Anthony and Demetric must equal some. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Demetric then, so we can give him two littles equal. It's like when you play the game at the fair, and if you, if you get one ball in, you get a small bear. But if you play twice, you get two small bears. You can upgrade to a medium bear. We're going to upgrade Felton and Schwartz, our two little bears that combine for a medium bear. Uh, that's what they yep, – uh, I, I, I mean, if there was like a none category, I would be, I would be tempted to say that Demetric Felton does not get any offensive snaps, that he is just the kick returner in this game. Man, I'd, I'd be I, – I, that wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't think you're given the Chiefs – you're not creating the, the most problematic situation for the Chiefs if that's true, but it, it makes a lot of sense, Scott. It would make you a little sad if that actually came to pass, Ellis, right? Perhaps, perhaps big sad as we get into my next, as we, when we get to my next two points, you, you'll understand why. This is going to be a different game on got to feel the emotions when we do that spinoff is does this situation make Ellis a lot sad, some sad, or a little sad? Uh, Nick Chubb, a lot, some, or a little, Scott? Uh, a lot, I guess, in the context of how often they use any of their running backs. Ellis, a lot, some or a little for Chubb. Yeah, a lot. What about Hunt then, Ellis? Some. It's going to be a, 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 a sprinkling in Kareem Hunt is going to be one of the things I, I follow most this year. I, I'm just not sure exactly how his where his touches consistently come in. Scott? Yeah, I would expect maybe their overall snaps to be similar. Hunt and Chubb, the carries okay. won't be, but. But snaps might be. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to put it. We got to have him at a lot then. All right. Austin Hooper, a lot, some or a little. Scott? Uh, a lot. Ellis? A lot. David Njoku, Ellis? I, he should play a lot. It'll start with some. Scott? You know, I went back and I looked at the personnel groupings for the Chiefs-Browns playoff game, and the Browns played 11 personnel like 72% of the time. Yeah, hmm. yeah. If they do that again, <laughs> I would say Njoku's some. Okay. If they do what they normally did during the season, I guess I would put him there with, with Hooper as, as similar snaps. But we'll go with some. All right. Harrison, Harrison Bryant, Ellis. L- little? Was that the l- l- least option? Yeah, little. that's the yeah. least. Scott? Yeah, little. All right. Is Steven Carlson on the team? Is there anybody else I need to say? Are we good? Did I cover everybody? That's five receivers, three running backs. Dearness Johnson. We don't need to do Dearness Johnson. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. Case Keenum. (laughs) Okay. Um, Nick Mullins. So it's interesting. So why are you guys both on some with Odell? Is it just easing him back in? 
off the injury or is there some or is there even when he might be, quote, fully healthy? Do you think there's a little bit of a load management thing here to keep him on the field all year and that you don't need to rely on him every single snap? And so he's going to be more of a some guy for a decent chunk of the year, Scott. Yeah, I would think it's probably a load management thing. I can't see them keeping him out and away from harm's way all preseason, all training camp, only to say, all right, go out there and, you know, play 70%, 60% of the snaps. I don't, that would kind of be shocking to me, knowing how cautious they've been with injuries across the board. So I think they're going to take it slow, or at least they're going to, you know, they're going to have a number in mind of how many snaps you should be out there. I discussed this on the round table yesterday. I can't figure out how they're going to use Odell. History says he's out there 90% of the time in, in snaps. And he's done that in, in Cleveland before, but it would make sense to ease him in. I think this first game we see 55 or 60% of snaps. Uh, but after that, just combining his history with how valuable and explosive he is on the field. Plus we're talking about Odell Beckham Jr. He, he, he's going to want to be out there. So keeping him off the field, it, it will probably could be problematic just within itself. So I think by week two, I wouldn't be surprised if those snap counts get up to 75, 80%. All right. That was a fun game. Maybe I'll try to work in a game thing on got to watch the tape. We'll see. We'll take a quick break. We're going to come back next with something that Ellis has written down. That is don't blank to Nick Chubb. We'll find out what that is next. on got to watch the tape. All right. Back breaking down the Browns offense versus the chiefs defense. It's don't throw to Nick Chubb. Why don't you want them to throw to Nick Chubb? Ellis, did you not, did you not get him in your fantasy draft? What are you in a PPR league where your arch enemy has Nick Chubb? What are you doing here? Why not throw to him? Yeah, this is all about fantasy and, and me just trying to speak it into existence because I'm playing against Nick Chubb in week one against my long high school hometown <laughs> rival. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We cover real football here. We don't have time for fantasy. All right. So this whole Nick Chubb not targeting him thing is comes from watching the tape and also ties into my, my first topic of being diverse in your personnel groupings. To be clear, I think Nick should touch the ball at least 15 times and if he catches a check down or two fine you know as the outlet guy I, I understand his ability as a pass catcher but throwing design screens or routes his way is something Casey both expects is then ready for and are, has already proven it can defend uh, I had two plays lined up uh, they're not worth going through I can describe them simply and they're both back-to-back -back plays um, if, if listeners want to find them and have access to a game pass replay of this, it, they come in the second quarter at the 1040 mark is the first drop. And the second drop comes at the 1035 mark. Again, they're back-to-back -back plays. The first one frustrates me because Nick Chubb is in the slot to Baker Mayfield's right. The Browns are an empty, I believe it's 11 personnel, five wide, giving Baker Mayfield an opportunity to dissect the coverage and then throw accordingly. He throws it to Nick Chubb. Ball's in a fine spot. He would have had an opportunity to catch and run it and, and probably pick up a decent game, breaking that first initial, ta initial tackle. I think it was uh, their safety coming down, uh, number 49, if I remember correctly. But he, it's a simple drop. And to me, it'll, it'll, this all ties together to my, my fourth point, which I think is the most important, that that type of play really stalls an offense that can't afford to have plays wasted against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Browns have too much talent on this roster to throw passes to 
your third best receiving option out of the backfield. Cream Hunt catches that ball with ease, and we've seen him pick up yards after the catch and, and stumble in the end zone plenty of times last year. Demetrius Felton, the guy who now if he just isn't active or, or he'll be active, but if he isn't a part of the offensive game plan, then he isn't a candidate for this. Then it has to be Cream Hunt. My point is, or you go four wide, or or you put a receiver in that position that is going to make that play and solidify it. it. It comes down to knowing that you have better pass catchers who are not going to put you in a, a, a 50-50 spot of, oh, we hope Nick Chubb catches this. And then if you watch the second play, it's a design screen. And I think that a theme in this rewatch was the Browns leaning on screens to key guys too often. Kevin has to try to avoid that this year against the Chiefs and probably just in general his play calling again, because of the depth and plethora of talent he has, you can avoid screens to the likes of Nick Chubb or even Odell Beckham Jr. Because there are too many eyes on them each play to eliminate that element of surprise that is the point of a screen. It's something a team's not expecting. But when you, you have Nick Chubb in there, it, it, it becomes a tendency thing, right? That's what defense defenses study. What are your tendencies? And you put Nick Chubb in a certain formation with a certain uh, uh, offset shotgun look you you expect screen a, a certain amount of the time on second and 10 it just becomes a little too obvious so instead throw David Njoku screens much like they did it in in the first quarter I know Scott's been all over tight end screen now for a year as I said Kareem Hunt sh- should catch a big screen in this game because he brings that triple threat that Nick Chubb doesn't as a rusher route runner and screen catcher and also as I've been mentioning it's easy. It's going to be easy for them to hide Demetric Felton and drop something off to him. We've saw last year Harrison Bryant be successful a few times at screens because it's, you're just dumping it off to a guy that the defense is not expecting to get the football because they are too busy being preoccupied with where Odell is, where Nick Chubb is, uh, perhaps where that tight end one is in Austin Hooper, where Jarvis is, and and that's a, where I think you can best maximize Nick Chubb, not just his touches but his moments on the field, let him do his work rushing the ball in the fourth quarter where he averaged 10 yards per carry and leave the de- design throws and catches to Kareem Hunter, Demetri Felton. I, I feel like my whole off season has been a lie. <laughs> That's all they've been doing. We've like over, I don't know how many times we've talked and written about how can this offense evolve? And every time I'm thinking, well, maybe they should throw their running backs more because they like didn't do that at all. They're like 27th, 28th, 29th and like yards and targets and even routes run by running backs. And they ramped up the screenplay over the last half of the season. So I'm thinking, yeah, that makes sense. And then Ellis comes out here and just starts stomping all over it. I would be in favor of wrapping up each episode with a thing where we ask each of you, what is the thing the other guy said on this podcast that you hated the most? <laughs> And just, well, that was another great podcast, guys. Ellis, real quick, what did you hate about what Scott said? And Scott, what did you hate about what Ellis said? Better yet, one of us signs off and the other stays on to just talk their crap. (laughs) And then we log back on and be like, all right, I don't know about this. I like that. We're building spinoffs. Is genius. Oh, my gosh. Every week we rotate. And now we have two minutes of throwing shade this week. It's Scott Pasco (laughs) ripping Ellis after he leaves. Um, but okay. Scott, look, they can throw they can throw passes to the running backs. I just want it to be Kareem Hunt and Demetric Felton. Uh, so I think I'm I'm still meeting you halfway here, uh, perhaps. 
See, that's the difference between you and I, Ellis. I know, I'm right? trying to inflame <laughs> the argument. Ellis is like reaching across the aisle. You know, yeah. Scott Patsko, we're not so different after all. Defuse, defuse, <laughs> defuse, right? All right. So the next thing on Ellis's list is about the fullback. Scott, are you ready for a full-throated Andy Janovich conversation or what are we doing here? How do, how do we get Johnny Stanton into the conversation? Can we get him off the practice squad into the active? That, that's the conversation I want to have. Did He's we, like the Swiss we, Army knife that's just waiting to be unlocked. Did we know for sure that they needed to keep a fullback on the 53? Was that a was that a sure guaranteed thing? Or is there a world where they could have used that for like a fourth tight end who could also do a couple fullback things every now and then when they need it? I, I was expecting him to. Expecting him to keep a fullback? To, to keep, yeah, to keep yeah, okay. one, yeah, yeah. So I remember talking on our uh, 53-man prediction podcast, and I'll, I'll just dive right into this right now because we're going to get Johnny Stanton brought up right away because, again, I said, to me, it made more sense to keep Johnny Stanton, cross-train him as a fullback in tight end so he can be the fourth tight end and your fullback as I anticipate the fullback slowly fading out of this offense. And that's where, full stop, it comes to taking the fullback off the field versus the Chiefs as I kind of already laid out, I'm going to come off as an Andy Janovich hater because I didn't project him onto the 53 and said, wanted to stand in there and have, have been vocal about the Browns offense simply being more explosive without a fullback on the field. There's before I, I, I get to the example, I want to break down. It's important to note that pro football focus uh, agreed with me in, in sense of just this one game for Andy Janovich. It was, he was the lowest lowest graded offensive player with a 38.9 offensive grade in this game. His run blocking grade was in the low forties. I understand why he's on the roster and against larger front teams like the Ravens, he is going to serve a role. He'll play an important part in milking fourth quarter leads as I think that's Nick Chubb's calling card this year is just be a fourth quarter killer, a game ender as this team protects leads that we expect them to have. And Janovich will play a role in that. But as you watch, the chiefs Browns tape again, it comes down to wasted opportunities, much like Nick Chubb's drops. I saw Andy Janovich as being too slow to threaten the attacking style defense that the Chiefs' safeties and nickel defenders play specifically Tyron Matthew. So in the clip I did send you guys, you, you can find the, the play I'm uh, talking about. It's a, they're trying to run a, a pin or a, a kick out where the tackle pulls and leads and it, it's two back toss to the right. And Janovich is expected to make a perimeter block for, I, I think the the back is, is Nick Chubb, if I'm remembering correctly, but um, he just blows it. He simply blows it. And that's the product of a, a, a quicker, uh, a team that's playing more, more diamond nickel. And you're trying to get to the outside on him. And that's not where Andy's strengths are. And then when he's on the field in, in play action, there's no fear of him catching the football. So really I think you are handicapping your offense in the fact that they know Baker Mayfield is not a player they have to account for in the run game. And that's fine. That's expected. He's, he's not Lamar Jackson. That's the point. But then Andy Janovich isn't a player you have to account for in the past game when he's on the field, meaning much like the tendencies of throwing a screen to Nick Chubb, you know, that it's likely run, you know, the runs likely going toward the fullback, wherever follow the fullback he's leading. And then you don't respect him as an athlete and can attack his point of attack block and blow it up. And that will transition to, to my ultimate point. Do you guys want to say some stuff about my, my fullback RIP here? Cause I, I know I'm really dead in them. And I just, I, I 
just don't think they belong on the football field in a fast pace, high octane offensive game like this Chiefs Browns matchup projects to be. I do. And I've written about this, that we really expected the fullback to be, have a larger role in the Browns offense than what we saw last year. And we were basing that on 2019 with the Vikings, CJ ham, CJ ham played 35% of the Vikings snaps. Uh, Janovich was like 16 and just overall the use of formations with two running backs, Stefanski really dialed that back Mm -hmm. uh, between the two years. Um, It was 35% in 2019. And with the Browns, he used it 16% of the time. That's like 22 and 21. So uh, just, you're right. That whole aspect of the offense seems like it's trending in the other direction. And maybe he looks at what the chiefs do and think, Lots of speed and lots of matchup problems, and maybe we do that without a fullback. All I'll say is that when when Ellis said, don't respect him as an athlete, it brought back some harsh memories of seventh-grade basketball cuts for me. So um, I'm a little feeling it from that. All right. So what? You hate this guy? You want him off the team, right? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> off the field. Off the off field. The, sorry, sorry. But he, but, can, he can run out the fourth quarter versus the Texans and the Bears the next two weeks. How about that? But there, if there isn't there a world, I mean, whether it's Johnny Stanton or whether it's you take a tight end and keep some fullback stuff, you could create a world where this fullback does enough other things where being on the field 16% of the time as a fullback, he could be on the field and some other stuff or if a guy got hurt. It does feel a little limiting to have a guy who's only a fullback as part of this roster at this point, right? I agree. They're not versatile. And it's exactly how I started this deep dive. Yeah. They need to be okay. multiple. They need to be explosive. Full See, back I, try in- to, I try to tie all my points together. It comes out all right. Like kind of like a sausage at the end, doesn't it? You know what I think is good? If you say right before you say in conclusion, and then, uh, then everybody knows that you're tying it back to the beginning. Uh, sixth round fullback next year in the draft. When it's one of those things, you're at the point of like, we have everything else. Next year, they got a draft. Do you guys want to do a 2022 draft segment real quick before the opener? Or are we, are we good? Got to draft a kicker. Got to draft a versatile fullback. All right. Let's wrap it back up with, in conclusion, the things, Ellis, that you said is sort of the main point of this. Like the thing the Browns have to do. Yeah. And it's stay on track. It's stay ahead of the chains. Which it does feel like this is where Nick Chubb gets really important. Right. Does this, I mean, I don't know, just give it to Nick Chubb, get five or six yards on every first down and keep it rolling because you're saying they've got to stay out of second and 10 and third and long. Yeah, it's an absolute must. And I know it sounds obvious. Of course, every team wants to stay out of second and 10, third and long. But the reason I'm talking about it and going to devote this much time to it is because it was happening far too often in Kansas City. And I would say a large reason why they lost the game. Let's let's look at their first two drives. They played from second and 10 or longer eight times on a total of 20 plays over those first two drives, specifically their second drive, which resulted in a punt. Of course, that first one, they did get points out of it, of a field goal. That second drive went eight plays and four times they had second and 10 or longer, including a second and 13, a second and 20 and a third and 20. As you keep breaking it down, the third drive went nine plays Four times they were second and 10 or worse. The fourth drive, which started the third quarter and ended in that Baker Mayfield interception, they had three plays and two of them were from second and 10 or longer. And then you get to the point of the game where it it flipped. And 
really, if the Browns probably had, had more time, largely because Patrick Holmes was out, they eventually win this football game, but they found their groove. Their first touchdown drive, the fifth drive of the game, eight plays, 77 yards, and, of course, that score. They were second and long or worse, zero times. You guys, it gets better. Mm. The sixth drive, the best drive of the game, 18 plays, 75 yards in that touchdown, second and long, zero times. Multiple times, we're talking Nick Chubb runs of 13, 18, 20 yards. We're talking completions to Richard Higgins of 20 yards. Uh, we had a David Njoku, uh, I think it was like a 20-yard seam route, a, a stopper, high ball. When you stay in front of the chains, I, again, I know it sounds obvious, but when you have the actual tape that shows you the problems it creates when you get behind, especially a team like the Chiefs that want to play aggressive, want to play fast, and then get you reeling. If you look back at that Baker Mayfield interception to Tyron Matthew, it's a lot of Baker just trying to take over, just overstepping and, and trying to make a play. And that's the type of mental drainage you experience as, as specifically specifically as a quarterback when you feel like you're behind the chains all the time and you got to get it if you stay away from that the browns have already put out the blueprint on how they can stay on top of this chiefs team they did it to close out that game and they just need to bring that same practice to the start or i fear we're going to see a similar situation and it could play out similarly how it did a year ago except here's the difference patrick Holmes probably isn't going to miss the last 23 games or 23 minutes excuse me so this is always, I think, one of the most interesting and sometimes difficult things for a play caller when you have an explosive guy that you want to get the ball to. When do you take a shot to OBJ? Because sometimes it feels like a first down is sometimes the best time to do that because I don't think it can always be like, hey, we got seven yards on first down. It's second and three. That's when we'll take the shot. It's like, of course, that's when you're going to take the shot. Or and you don't want to do it on third down. Right. Because it's like, oh, my gosh, it's third and six. And we, now if you don't you just miss a 50 yard pass, now you got to punt. But if you take that shot and miss it, now you're in that spot. Scott, I, I don't know what the right answer is to that. I think Ellis is, of course, right. He has the facts to back it up. you got to stay ahead of the chains. But also tell me if you don't take a couple shots on these guys, you're not going to win because the whole point of this. Part of the reason you think they have a better chance to beat the Chiefs right now is they have some guys who are going to threaten them deep in a way that the Chiefs weren't threatened last year, which is why Tyron Matthew was roaming around the field with no cares in the world. When do you take your Odell Beckham or Anthony Schwartz or Donovan Peoples-Jones shots against this team? Hopefully it's not on the very first play of the games. That's just so cliche. How many times do we True. see that, right? Like, come on. Um, you, you take the shot when you have the personnel out there you like and you have the defensive look that you like. And I know that's not the one answer, but that's, that's when they're going to take that shot when they, when everything lines up the way they like it. And, but you do have to do it because you're right. It's something they really couldn't do last year. And that is like the one big ingredient that we're expecting to be added to this offense. Now that everybody seems to understand what they're supposed to do, judging from the second half of last season, you take Odell and you put him in the middle of all that. And, you know, that's what he's supposed to bring. And even if you don't throw it to him, it's still valuable because then you're, you know, you open up space for Hooper to run across or, or whatever. It's just the threat knowing that there's a guy on the field who could run deep and Tyreek kills the same way, a guy who can take players with him down the field and either get the ball thrown to him or create space underneath. That's valuable. Ellis, as, uh, as, as we wrap all your components together here, 
with the personnel groupings that they can use with this desire to stay ahead of the chains, but also take the requisite deep shots with the right way to use Nick Chubb in the right situations to maximize him. Is this a difficult game for Kevin Stefanski to call? How much is this game on Kevin Stefanski that when you've got a revamped defense and an experienced, talented offense, is Kevin Stefanski calling the right game? The, the biggest difference between winning and losing here because sometimes it's great to have options, but sometimes it's hard to choose which one then. Right. Of course he'll decide personnel and he'll call the plays. I think this game other than health would best be played in week two for the Browns when Kevin could maybe iron out a few of these personnel groupings and, and getting some, some at least tape evidence of what may work and what won't. But I think Kevin's in a spot where he can, learn from the tape from a year ago largely when I say don't, don't throw to Nick Chubb and take the fullback off the field all I'm really saying is eliminate your wasted plays because those plays were the reasons you were getting behind the chains in the first place I, I don't mind you know down to people's Jones had a 22 yard catch on a first down just go route vertical they tried it again on the next series and it fell incomplete that's fine you're still threatening the defense you're still proving you're willing to do it those aren't the reasons teams get behind in the chains. It's when you waste play calls. And to me, putting Nick Chubb in situations where he is the focal point in either a screen or running a route as a slot receiver, wasted reps. This Chiefs team has proven they know where the ball's going when a fullback's on the field, wasted reps. And they weren't able to be diverse in their personnel groupings last year, largely based on who they had available to them, which is they will not be handicapped that way this year. So as Kevin is the one of the quickest studies we've seen in this league. I'm confident he learns from the tape a year ago. And though it will be a difficult play, a game for him to call and decide who's out there, he's, this is not going to be the same style of offense and groupings and, and just play design from a year ago. And, and if it is, then this offense is going to take a little longer to be fully functioning than we anticipated. Last year, we tried to keep got to watch the tape to about an hour. That was about an hour 20. We will work up to a full two hour. Got to watch the tape by the time we get to this Chiefs Browns rematch in the AFC championship game. I could listen to you guys talk about this stuff all day. And I think a lot of people listening right now would agree with that. But you've got lies to lead. I get it. We're going to do it every Thursday. We're going to dig in on what's next for the Cleveland Browns. We're going to dig in on what Scott Patsko and Ellis Williams find most interesting about this football team. And they are great guides for you through this football season. So we want you reading on cleveland.com slash Browns. We want you as a Browns insider getting all those texts straight into your phone. We want you watching our great videos with Mary Kay and Dan and Scott and Ellis on our Cleveland Browns cleveland.com YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and Google it and find it. Subscribe to that channel so you don't miss any videos. We want you listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast five days a week. We're going to have roundtables in there. We have Hey Mary Kay in there. We'll have our game preview show every week at the end of the week. But we'd love to have you make Gotta Watch the Tape a regular part of your weekly Browns experience. We will be here every Thursday, and we hope you guys are too. It is great to be back. It is great to talk football with two of the best people in Cleveland to talk football with. That's Scott. That's Ellis. It's my privilege to be on this pod with you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks to the listeners. It's year two of Gotta Watch the Tape. Enjoy Sunday. We'll talk to you later. For now, that's it on Gotta Watch the Tape.